It's great to be back. Thank you all for your prayers uh, for a safe journey. It was a wonderful assembly. This morning, I want to speak with you about, uh, well, begin speaking with you about faith and faithlessness in the gospel uh, and end speaking with you about, uh, from, from, the, from the epistle, about love. In the gospel reading this morning, Jesus encounters two blind men. And they call out to him saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. He, he, they, he comes in, they come into the house where he is. Uh, and Jesus asks them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. We talked a few weeks ago about faith uh, when we were talking about the centurion and what was his faith. And really, faith as we see it here over and over and over again is, is simply belief that God is, that he is good. That we know with the eyes of faith that God is able to do what he well, what we're asking him. The question is not, can God do this? The question is, will God do this? And the question is not, does God want to do this good thing? The question is, is this thing actually good for us? So that when we are talking about faith, it's fairly simple, actually. Uh, there's, there's those who will tell you, oh, you just have to have faith, and then God will give you whatever you want, your Cadillac, your, your, your GICs, whatever, your great investments. No, this is not what this is talking about. Faith is actually really simple in the Gospels. It's belief that God is and he is good, that he is the one who loves us and cares for us, and is able to do all things and is doing all things for us, for us and for our salvation, for our good. And the real question is, is he going to do this? Well, we're, whatever, whatever we're asking of him. Not can he, not does he want to, but will he? And in this case, Jesus, when they came to him and asked, he said, yeah. Well, he actually asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? They say, yes, Lord. And he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their eyes are open. Then he goes on in the later part of this gospel to, uh, to cast out a demon. And that's another subject for another whole sermon uh, on the whole spiritual world that is behind the physical world that we see. Uh, but the Pharisees, well, first of all, the multitude, their reaction, the crowds are like, wow, we've never seen this in Israel. But the Pharisees' response, so you have on the one hand, the faithful response. The, faith, the faithful response is that, oh, this is good. This is amazing. This is wonderful. The Pharisees' response is that he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And there's another point at which in one of the other Gospels, where Jesus kind of focuses on this and says, this is more or less the unforgivable sin. Because 
if we attribute that which is good, that which is clearly of God, to the work of the devil, of the demon, then there's really no way that God can get through to us. And if you think about it, if, if you're, I, I knew a guy who, he, he was, uh, some of you knew him too, he was, he was really quite amazing at uh, reading people and he, he, uh, he, he was able to use that to really connect with people. And often people would be really touched by this because they understood that here was a guy who understands me. And, and they would, they would, um, they would na naturally tend to trust him and often be, you know, favorably inclined towards him. And, and if he asked them to do something, he, he would do it. Well, he got labeled at one point as a master manipulator. And the problem with the label is that once you have that label, absolutely everything that you do or say ends up being interpreted through that lens. You know, you, you're nice to someone. Well, obviously, you want something out of that person. You're just manipulating them. Or you're, you, 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 you're, you ask someone's forgiveness. Just doesn't really mean it. Just trying to manipulate. Uh, anything and everything that you do can be explained through this, you know, potentially, and in this case, I would say, mostly false lens. I mean, everybody, you know, occasionally wants to manipulate or control somebody. And sometimes, every now and then we do it for the wrong reasons. But if your heart is in the right place, then, well, of course, you want to inspire people. Oh, you're just manipulating them. That's the kind of, that's the kind of trap the Pharisees got themselves caught in. He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Because now nothing that Jesus does or says, everything that Jesus does or says will be interpreted in a negative light. And I want to particularly focus on that here as we make the transition to the epistle reading. And the epistle reading that we just heard today is from the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the book of Romans uh, at the very end of my very favorite chapter, my very favorite section, because it actually flows all over into, the, into this next chapter, chapter 15, uh, of the book of Romans. Uh, we heard, we, who are, we then who are strong ought to bear with, bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves, and let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to his edification. But this too is related to our faith. At the beginning of this section, in chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dis disputes over doubtful things. And this whole thing is really about how we interact with one another. Because on the one hand, we have this trap that the Pharisees fell into, and then we can kind of laugh at the Pharisees. <laughs> you know, they're so, they're so dumb, or it's, it's quite tragic, or, or however we want to react to them. It's, it's outside of ourselves. It's easy. But on the other hand, 
We do this all the time. We fall into the same trap. And it's terribly destructive and dangerous. Paul says, receive one who is weak in the faith. This is somebody who isn't super committed yet to the way, the Christian gospel, the teachings of Jesus Christ. They they kind of think, yeah, I, I think God is good. I hope he's good, but I'm not quite sure yet. And that often leads people in, who are in this kind of scenario, and it could be people who have been Christians for a long time even, but it, it leads them into certain scruples or into, into uh, certain like, obsessions over, over, over different things. Uh, and, and so Paul says, but not to disputes over doubtful things. You're receiving them. You're not receiving necessarily all of their positions. And the, the problem with, much as I love debate, <laughs> the, the problem with it, when you get into an argument with somebody, is that just like when you get angry with somebody, it gives us this, this often gives us this tunnel vision. All we see of the person is this, is this thing, whatever it is, that, we're, that we disagree over. We don't see the person. We only see the disagreement. But Paul didn't say, receive their positions. He actually said, didn't. You're not required. Just kind of ignore that part. Receive them. And he goes on in this passage to say, you know, as as he's talking in in this particular instance uh, about whether you should fast or not fast. And he's like, look, each one of you is a servant, but you are all servants of the Most High God to his own master. He's not your servant. He's God's servant. And to his own master, he will stand or fall. And he will stand, for God is able to make him stand. That too is at work, or ought to be at work, in our calculation. Because yeah, maybe the person's wrong. Maybe this doubtful issue that they're really hung up on is, is you know, it's not the right thing to do. But that's not my business. That's God's business. And Paul, as he's talking about this, saying he makes this distinction between those who are strong in the faith and those who are weak in the faith. And if we are strong in the faith, it's our job, which I, I think kind of subjectively, almost all of us think, yeah, we're the ones who are strong in the faith, right? Everybody else is kind of weak going this, that, or the other way. <laughs> other way. But, you know, we're strong. So, okay, if you are strong, this is for you. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul says in another place, you know, if, if, it, if, if my brother is going to be offended by me eating meat, I will give up meat for the rest of my life. My brother is more important to me than the food that I eat. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of him, of those who reproached you, fell on me. And as I was preparing for this, I ran across, uh, I, I like to look up, you know, particularly when, I'm reading through and it's like, oh, it's in italics. This is from the Old Testament. Where is it from? So looked it up. Turns out it's from Psalm 69, which 
I didn't even realize is the psalm that contains my, I don't know if I want to say my all-time favorite prayer, but, this, but, but the prayer that I probably pray most. As I was uh, newly converted to orthodoxy, I went through the psalms in my, in my rule of prayer. Highly recommended if you can squeeze, it, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze them in there. And I happened to run across this psalm. And in particular, a couple of verses from this psalm kind of leaped out at me. And, it's, and it became a prayer for me. Oh God, you know my foolishness. And my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait on you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Because I know I'm not perfect. I've got all sorts of flaws and brokennesses. And, and it, was, it was amazing to me quite a number of years later. So I, I kind of, as I say, I adopted this as, as kind of almost a habitual prayer. Whenever I'm, I have to say something, I'm like, oh, man, would I say the right thing? I don't know. God, you know my foolishness. Uh, and, and, and it was amazing to me that a number of years later, I ran across, uh, I think, a podcast by Father Tom in which Father Tom recommends this particular prayer for every Orthodox priest. Every Orthodox priest should know this prayer and should be saying this prayer. It's like, Okay, well, I, I, wow, okay, that's, that's cool. Because, you know, I actually adopted it before I became a priest and use it even more now that I am a priest. Uh, but this, this psalm that Paul is referencing to talk about Jesus is, it's, it's, it's one of those amazing psalms where you, it's a psalm of David and he said, he begins, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I've come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I must still restore it. O oh God, you know my foolishness. My sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be, count, be confounded because of me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept, and chasten my soul with fasting. They blame me for that. That became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of drunkards. That's the psalm that the Apostle Paul is referencing when he says, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This being wrongly blamed, being misunderstood, being slandered, falsely accused, those who, 
who hate me wrongfully are more in number than the hairs on my head. I have fewer hairs, so maybe less people hate me. So that's, that's nice. But, but um, um, this is what Christ experienced. And what Christ calls us to, the way of life that Christ calls us to, it goes, it, it consistently goes beyond even the most difficult, the most dangerous of human callings. You know, if, we, if we're uh, a, a decent person, if we're, not, if we're not so decent person, then usually we react in anger and, we, and, and violence breaks out and whatever. If we're a decent person, then, you know, we, we react in, you know, okay, we restrain ourselves. But Christ is calling us to go beyond being simply decent people. He's calling us to follow him. To take up our cross and follow him. To be misunderstood, to be misrepresented, and to love our enemies. Do good to those who hate us. Pray for those who despitefully use us. This is the gospel that Christ came to teach us. This is the way of life. He came to show us that he calls us to follow him. In. And so, as I ended last week's sermon, as I was leaving with little children, love one another. So I want to end this one. Little children, love one another, for this is hard. This involves even your death. But this is the way of life. This is the way we glorify God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages.